What's up, world? I'm Matt Newberg from Hungary, and this is The Feed. Each episode, we'll dive into conversations with the industry insiders who are leveraging technology to shape the way we eat. On today's episode of The Feed, I sat down with Alex Bloom, founder and CEO of Relay, a last mile logistics company that consolidates restaurants delivery orders across every single channel. In this episode, we'll talk about how restaurants can save money by switching to self-delivery, how Relay is able to more efficiently batch orders compared to DoorDash and Uber Eats, and the impact of the recent minimum wage legislation in New York City on the entire ecosystem. This podcast is brought to you by Hungry, a media and research platform dedicated to the intersection of food and technology. For more information, please visit Hungry.tv, that's Hungry with no U, and click subscribe to join the weekly newsletter. Well, Alex, it's really awesome to have you here. I've been wanting to interview you for a while, so thank you for making the time. I would love for us to kind of go back in time into the travel, into the time machine and take us back 10 years ago. Tell us what the landscape of food delivery was like and then kind of that problem that, you know, sparked the idea for Relay that you discovered. Yeah, and Matt, thanks for for having me. Big fan of the podcast and the newsletter um, and Hungry TV. Uh, so th- thanks for, for making some time to, to have had me on the podcast. Um, 10 years ago, I had recently moved to New York and had heard, as the rest of the world um, knew at the time, or has always known that New York is a huge delivery, like food delivery city, and that you could get anything delivered at any time of the day, um, which was true. Uh, somewhat is still true today, but uh, less so uh, than it used to be. And, and sort of came to this realization that, this is 2012, by the way, um, came to the realization that every single restaurant that did delivery had to hire a corresponding literal team of delivery couriers to manage that delivery process. And, you know, this is, this is the era of Lyft and Uber and like rideshare really taking off and, and this idea of being able to connect resources via an app. Um, and I think really the like Uber for X sort of was coined around this time. <laughs> and so it was, it was sort of one of those where it's like, wait a moment, if, if all the couriers are employed by the restaurant, then that's super inefficient because they are going out, dropping food off, and then have to come back sort of inherently uh, to the restaurant they started from. And if you had a, a network of restaurants and a pool, like a shared pool of couriers, you can route them to the nearest restaurant from their last drop-off, you can eliminate what in logistics or in operations research is called a deadhead, which is that empty-handed return trip. And so that was the the original thesis uh, and premise that still is true today, which is, I think, pretty unique that that hasn't really changed. That's that's a big part of our draw. But yeah, that's basically, I set out, like our first restaurant was just down the street from my apartment for good reason, like literally on the weekends, started knocking on doors, talking to restaurant owners, and then launched the app. I did it. I was our first delivery person. Um, started doing deliveries in November of 2014, like freezing, like you know, the end of no, end of November. And so just remember delivering food. It was like sleeting in like mid December in New York, and it's just miserable. And basically, it was like if this doesn't take off in the next six weeks, like I, I'm out. And thankfully, thankfully, it was fine. 
but um, yeah, sort of that's like part of the origin story. Amazing. Yeah, I, re I remember that time vividly in New York where, yeah, I was a heavy seamless user back in the day. And yeah, restaurants didn't have their own. Uh, some Many restaurants had to hire their own staffs. Um, you know, Motorino was one of the ones I ordered from a lot. We talked about this. Um, and they had like a dozen guys hanging out there. But for a lot of restaurants, it didn't make sense for, the, for these guys to sit on their hands. And it's probably hard to source you know, reliable workers and like, how you, how do you make this work? And this was in the days where the marketplaces were just demand, right? When they were actually profitable because they didn't have to do this. So you come in and take this off their hands. Just give us the quick pitch to restaurants and then maybe share just some of the stats of like how, you know, how big Relay has gotten as far as like number of markets and GMV, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, here, I'll start with that that first, if it's okay, and, and then mm -hmm. give you the high level of the, of the offering, I guess. So today, Relay, born in New York, 2014, we're in five markets. We're in uh, Chicago, New York, uh, Philly, D.C., and Miami. Those are five of the 10 yep. biggest cities in the country. We are a urban, like dense urban environment, last mile fulfillment service. We have delivered... Uh, 1.5 billion in GMV to date, 41 million orders over that time frame. Uh, we're a profitable company, which is, I think, another rarity. There's a lot of things that make us unique, and that's that's another one in our space. Everybody sort of famously, it's like food delivery, like, is it ever going to make any money? We've been making money for many years now. And really what we do that is unique is, so we, we, we're a B2B service. We offer fulfillment to restaurants primarily. And what we'll do is we'll deliver food of two natures, of two types for, for a restaurant. One is the first party order, which is the order that a consumer transacts directly, when the consumer transacts directly with the, right. the restaurant. So mcdonalds.com, uh, for example. And then something that, and a lot of people do that, something that we do that, that few do is we also deliver third-party orders. And so we will come in and deliver, for a restaurant, we will deliver their Uber, DoorDash, and Grubhub orders. Many listeners probably right now are thinking, well, wait a second, I thought Uber did their, those orders, that Uber delivered the Uber orders and DoorDash delivered the DoorDash orders. And you're right, but the apps also have this feature called self-delivery or merchant-led delivery. It has many names whereby a restaurant can basically say, I want to have my menu displayed on your app. I want consumers on, on DoorDash to be able to order from my restaurant, but I will take control of the delivery process after an order has been placed. Um, right. And so that's that's sort of what we plug in. It's very similar to the new model that Domino's is testing with Uber, right? Yep. Uber does the demand gen generation and Domino's fulfills but you're offering this to any restaurant and, and it's something that they can call up their delivery marketplace and say, Hey, I want to switch from, you know, demand and logistics to just doing demand. Correct. Like they That's can just literally just ask them to like change their commission because half of the commission is going to the last mile. And then the other half is like supposedly marketing when, when, when it comes to regulating these fee caps, um, 
that we saw over the pandemic, a lot of it was like, okay, we have to break out these two components. Let's, let's just talk a little bit about this because I think a lot of people get confused about it. Yeah, that Matt, that's exactly right. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that you bring up the Domino's uh, example. That's the most recent one. Jimmy John's also. Jimmy John's is probably a pioneer in, in at the enterprise of experimenting or, or really leaning into it. This is what they do, uh, leaning into self-delivery. If you order Jimmy John's on DoorDash, a Jimmy John's employee, with like the Jimmy John's polo rings your doorbell, not a DoorDash employee or sorry, contractor. And, and so, <laughs> and so what is, what is, I think important to highlight, right? You have Jimmy John's and Domino's, which are two concepts that effectively have invented delivery, right? Like they have classically always been delivery brands. If they are leaning into self-delivery, then I think for other brands, there's a, there's a, that says a lot about uh, this model. Like if the people that have been doing it the longest and, and uh, presumably understand delivery the best, if they're leaning into self-delivery, I think they, uh, there's a path to follow there is essentially what I'm getting at. Yeah. So what are the implications of the, I mean, I think what you're offering is, is, is a, a, a tweak on that because they're actually hiring their own drivers, right? That's right. They've had these legacy businesses where they pick up the phone and call Domino's and you'd expect a guy in a Domino's pizza car with a little thing on, on the roof. I don't know what those things are called, but yeah. you know, those little sign, those signs, yeah. um, the tents on the roof of their car coming and pulling up and delivering you a pizza and a branded Domino's sleeve yep. with, and the guys wearing the uniform and everything. And that's part of the whole experience. But with you, you know, you, you're essentially batching it for all small and larger chains as well. So I guess talk about that. And like, also what is the net impact to you know, restaurants, bottom line and, and consumers wallets when it comes to the economic implications of this. Yeah. Um, it's car topper, by the way, the like car pizza. Topper. Yeah. I, I was struggling to, to remember. So yeah, that's exactly right. I, you know, I like to, I'd like to think that we are sort of a middle ground option. Like, you could do self-delivery and actually hire your own team of drivers to fulfill those orders. That's mm -hmm. sort of one end of the spectrum. The the opposite end of the spectrum is just completely outsource everything to Uber, DoorDash, and, and Grubhub and, and their drivers. And so I think we are a middle ground offering where we combine the best of both worlds. And and something that that you sort of touched on was combining combining across the stack. One of the so the one of the, a big reason merchants want to work with us is because we can save them money. There's a couple of ways we we do that. One is basically Uber is more convenient. I'm not going to deny that, right? Like just you sign up with Uber, they handle everything and sort of you can sort of sit back as a restaurant owner. The downside to that is that it's really expensive. And so like in many other things out there, when you decouple offerings and sort of build them yourself, you usually are able to reap unit economic benefits from doing that. Mm -hmm. And so this is exactly that play where, where, where you decouple the demand gen offering that Uber has, um, mm -hmm. which is that the, the advertising and the marketing from the logistics, you are 
it's going to be a little bit less convenient. And happy to talk about that. It's going to be a little bit less convenient, but the unit economic benefits for a merchant are massive. Uh, we are classically able to save a merchant 50% of their Uber bill when they go through this and happy to explain that in a little bit. But the other way we're able to save restaurants money is our last mile fulfillment is just so, so much more efficient. And and the way that works, and, and if there's probably people at home uh, saying or thinking that, that that's impossible. You know, Uber has really smart engineers and a lot of them, and same with DoorDash and, and, and Grubhub. The way, the way we're able to save merchants money on the fulfillment side is we are consolidating this fragmented front end. And so if you have somebody that orders um, on, on DoorDash and another person that orders on Uber Eats from the same popular pizzeria on a Friday night, both of those apps have to pay one person, so two, two different people, to go out and fulfill those orders. Whereas in our model that pizzeria worked with us, we would be able to send one courier to pick up both of those orders as long as they were going in the same direction. Right. And so we're able to bundle basically, instead of just siloed within DoorDash or within Uber, which is how they operate, yeah. we're able to cross the stack. Right, yeah, I, 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 we're gonna definitely get into the batching okay. and that, that makes a lot of sense. Just like restaurants have, were really quick to jump on this aggregator trend of you know signing up for OrderMark or Olo or DeliverAct to consolidate all those inbound orders into a single POS system or a single tablet, you're doing that for the last mile essentially, where you're saying no matter where this order comes in, we're gonna have a single set fleet that's available to you that's going to be able to pick up any order, no matter where it comes in from. Someone comes in on your website, orders directly on sweetgreen.com. They're going to be able to have it fulfilled for the same price as anyone who's going to, you know, come in from the apps. Essentially, we're going to have the same couriers from our fleet, basically working with you to pick up all those orders, no matter the marketplace. If you're on DoorDash, Uber Eats, Grubhub, it doesn't matter. It's the same relationship with us, same cost. That's right? that's exactly right, man. That's that's right. And it's a flat fee, right? You you just within a certain radius, you're charging a flat rate. That's exactly right. Yep, that's right. So we don't charge based on on subtotal. It it basically it costs us the same to deliver a twelve dollar dollar burrito than you know a fifty dollar plate of sushi. Got it. So when I when I'm a customer and I'm going through here and I'm seeing you know, the delivery fees that get tacked on at the yeah. end. How does this change if the merchant's using Relay versus they're using, you know, DoorDash or Uber Eats? Yep, that's a great question. So a there, there are a couple of transformative differences in this model. One of them is the delivery fee. And so now if a, if a merchant signs up for the first time, the merchant is now able to set and collect directly from the consumer a delivery fee. And so before, when Uber or DoorDash did the last mile, or sorry, did the delivery, basically Uber and DoorDash would, at their own discretion, set a delivery fee and keep it. But now the restaurant's in control, the restaurant's in the driver's seat. And mm. what will classically happen is say our fee is $5, a restaurant will charge $2.99 to help offset mm -hmm. our, our cost. And so the 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 net cost of, of delivery is two bucks or a, you know a dollar dollar and a penny um and the savings that we're able 
to generate by cutting their commission down from 30 to 15%, which is sort of the market rate, when they switch mm-hmm. to self-delivery on, on Uber and, and DoorDash's commission, is the savings. And so, mm-hmm. by and large, restaurants are, are um, coming out on top and, and saving money on the last, file, last mile fulfillment um, when, when they work with us. And the consumer now has a $2.99, call it in this example, delivery fee that they pay directly to the restaurant. So how much does the consumer end up saving as a result, would you say? Yeah, so it's really variable, right? When Uber or DoorDash set the fees, um, like if it's raining, those fees go up. But they're, you know, so it's right. based on dynamic pricing principles. But you know, on average, we're saving consumers, you know, three, four dollars, easy. Got it. And then you, you know, I also imagine that when you turn on self-delivery, now the dynamics change when it comes to like, okay, I have to go deliver this. So now I need data, more data on like calling this customer, getting their address, et cetera. Yeah. So now what else does that unlock? What is switching to self-delivery and using Relay unlock from that perspective? Yeah. So uh, great, great question. One of the first sort of reactions restaurant owners have when they switch to self-delivery and those first orders start coming in is, oh my God, like I can see the customer's uh, address and phone number now. And so because the restaurant or or a third party has to actually go out into the world and ring a doorbell and and call a customer when they're downstairs, the apps provide that data that they used to not provide to a merchant. And so merchants can can utilize this for a number of things, but like one of them, when without being super creative, right? One of them is it allows you to identify uniquely who your customers are. And so say, and there's a really good reason why why the apps, like let's make no mistake, like there's a really good reason why Uber and DoorDash don't present this data uh, uh, you know, off the shelf as is, yeah. because it, if you're a restaurant owner and say you decide to run a promotion on Uber and you see that your sales go up, right? But it's a really nebulous, there's, there's a lot of opacity there. Um, so you run this, the, run this promo, you spend $10,000, across all your locations and you see that your sales go up, but then you know they slump down again. The data that you'd have with self-delivery would enable you to see who these customers are that are ordering and identify, mm-hmm. are these people that basically only order when I have a, a coupon out there? What's the LTV of these customers? And essentially right. like what the actual ROI, the granular ROI on that marketing spend was. Um, and so those are, those are some of the, the sort of great ways in, in which restaurants can leverage this data. Great stuff. And it's definitely something that's like, you know, it's a hot topic. Um, you know, who's, who owns the customer at the end of the day. Right. And it's, yep. you know, they're, they're providing you a service, you know, it's supposed to be incremental, you know, it's their customers, but when you say, okay, well, we're going to actually do all the heavy lifting, that dynamic definitely changes and you flip, flip that switch. It's a whole new dynamic, a whole new relationship you're kind of embarking yeah. on. And, and but Matt, to be sure, right? Like I'm not saying that I, I don't consider that customer to be a DoorDash or an Uber customer. Um, you know, DoorDash and Uber have spent a lot of money to get that customer onto that platform, right? What, right. what, what? One of the uses of this data is to empower restaurants to make informed decisions. Right. Like if you're spending basically like the way it's set up currently and it's it's more nuanced than this, but like at a high level, you know, you spend 10 grand advertising on Uber and you see your sales go up and that's that's good. But like if if how would you feel if you knew that 
your sales go up because you just attracted all these people that are chasing a coupon and they have no right. intention of ordering from right. a restaurant again. Would you? Would that make you feel differently or think differently about you know doing yeah. another ten thousand dollar campaign in in six months, right? Um, and so that's that's sort of what I'm trying to get at. Um, yeah, it's just totally. uh, restaurants are are truly just flying in in the dark when it comes to to that. Right. No, it's like Groupon, right? You don't want to throw good money after bad. We don't want to just exactly. put everything on sale for no reason. Exactly. Um, right. So you alluded to the fact that DoorDash and, and Uber both have their own logistics as a service, right? DoorDash Drive, Uber Direct. And and that's kind of another route that they could take as well. Obviously, they won't save money on the marketplace, but they would be able to fulfill those first party orders. But I guess why might... I guess, why is it a good idea for them to work with someone else like you when it comes to those marketplace orders, in addition to the economic benefit, right? And the data, yep. like what is the, like, why should they consider, why else should they consider Relay? Yeah. So basically Uber and DoorDash, as, as you said, have a white label last mile fulfillment solution, like you can basically, as if you're a restaurant, you can tap into the drivers on the DoorDash or Uber network. Um, an actual example is if you order on Chipotle.com, DoorDash Drive does that last mile fulfillment. So if you order on Chipotle.com and, and get a burrito um, there, it's still DoorDash doing the last mile fulfillment because Chipotle is tapped into this DoorDash Drive offering. And I think that's really dangerous. And a big part of our thesis is that there is this competitive tension between DoorDash and, and Chipotle. DoorDash wants consumers ordering on the DoorDash app, the marketplace, and not mm -hmm. on Chipotle.com. Right, the take rate is higher. Of course, and it's their customer. There's, you know, and maybe if I get you, instead of ordering from, from Chipotle and you order on DoorDash, maybe I can get you to spend money, you know, on, on some other restaurant, right? So there's, there's opportunity there. For merchants that don't have a fleet, however, there's few options that offer really national coverage. It's basically down to DoorDash and, and Uber. And, and again, there's this crazy competitive tension because both of those apps own and operate consumer-facing marketplaces, as do the merchants that, that tap into their white label solution. And so I, yeah, I think there's, there's what I've always called it is letting the, the fox in the hen house, like who's to know, like, in this case, right, Chipotle is paying DoorDash and giving DoorDash all the information that DoorDash would need to be able to uniquely identify a customer, right? And and know whether that that Chipotle.com customer has a DoorDash app. I'm not saying that this happens, but it would make me really uncomfortable if I were Chipotle, sort of knowing that my basically my competitor is handling the last mile fulfillment fulfillment of my orders. And so we've stood mm -hmm. up well, we've, we've trying to, to stand up a, a alternative that's agnostic. We do not own a consumer facing app. And so, and in fact, our incentives are a lot more in aligned with Chipotle in this case, because we relay wants to drive as much traffic or hopes to drive as much traffic to Chipotle.com right. um, because that means that we have diversity in our revenue streams, as opposed to just like right. all of our revenue coming from DoorDash, Uber and Grubhub, right? And so in that sense, we're a lot more aligned with, with the merchant than Uber or DoorDash, which I'm sure like those contracts probably have really lengthy, you know, 
wording around data usage and, and, and sort of what's <laughs> permitted or not. Um, my, my, my take there is just like, why even partner with somebody if you have to have these, these presumably, you know, yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Right. It, it seems fraught to me. Totally. Yeah. It's a lot cleaner to just, just outsource it to someone who has no skin in the game when it comes to, you know, these, this wall that gets created between first party and third party and who owns which customer, right? It's very messy. Uh, fascinating. I'll add to that though, Matt, like I'll be, I'll be honest in the last, that's been a, a big sort of thesis that we've been pushing and, and trying to get in front of these, these mega brands. Um, it has been, it just sort of the message hasn't landed. Um, <laughs> we spoke to a lot of folks and it's, it's really, I could say it's not a good analogy, but it's, it's, uh, you know, you have folks from, from these huge brands sort of saying like, we'll do anything to try and like distance ourselves or put some sort of barrier or buffer between like Uber, DoorDash and Grubhub and like our customers. And like, we want to try to reclaim delivery. We want more data. We want to try and, and lower our costs. So they say all these things, they're saying all the right things. And then we, you know, we meet with them, we talk to them about how we can help them achieve those goals. And it's just like, ah, you know, that sounds super difficult and like complicated. And it's just like, mm -hmm. It is the analogy I've, I've, it's, it's, again, it's not a good analogy, but it's like somebody that wants to lose weight and he's like, all right, you want to lose weight? Like, here's your diet plan. Here's your exercise plan. Like we're starting Monday at 7 a.m. And they're like, oh, well, I don't mean it that way. You know, like there's got to be like <laughs> some sort of like TV show I can watch or like a pill that I can eat right. to like help me lose weight. Right. Like right. I'm talking about like all an in easy, one solution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm talking about like an easy way out. And it's like, sure. look, like the restaurant industry has painted themselves into a corner and that's it. Like, there's no easy way out. Like, you're going to have to fight out of it now. And I guess we have found that the fighting spirit is weaker than we were expecting. Or the pain that uh, the apps are inflicting on, on restaurants has subsided or, or they're, like, used to it, I guess, at this point. I don't know. Yeah, people just want to, they want one contact. And if something goes wrong, they don't want to have to call, like, two different, three different people or whatever. Yeah. try to pinpoint the problem the needle in the haystack yeah it's that's just my it, guess it might be more convenient but like we're saving you know some local restaurants hundreds of thousands of dollars a year that have right. like one location right so if you multiply that across the three thousand four thousand chipotle locations yeah. the the savings could be i mean staggering yeah straight to the bottom line makes yeah. a lot of sense so I, I want to compare what's going on here with food delivery to other markets because I think it's interesting because yeah. th th this space feels so, comp so competitive and so secretive. And meanwhile, we have, I guess, the, you know, there's been similar dynamics with Amazon. Um, and, and I really want to talk about that. But like generally in e-commerce, you can essentially pick whatever parcel, like whatever logistics service 3PL you want, right? You go on Shopify to any e-commerce yeah. vendor, right, merchant. And then you say, I want fast shipping, or maybe it's going to choose some sort of local courier. You want like free shipping. It's going to do like USPS or it'll be like, you know, two day UPS. Yeah. Right? So it's like three different options here. It's got to come instantly. It's got to be on demand, obviously, um, when we're talking about restaurants. Yeah. Um, so I guess... Why is platform agnostic fulfillment so controversial here, but not in broader e-com? Let's just start there. <laughs> yeah, I think the like distinction there, Matt, is 
So let's go back in time a little bit. Like, so Amazon used to uh, contract with UPS, right? Mm -hmm. And they have since dropped that partnership in a major way. But for Amazon, it's sort of like an easy decision to to figure out who they partner with, whether it's like FedEx or UPS or, you know, some other, or, or a plethora of, of small local players. The like distinction there is that, you know, UPS doesn't also own and operate an e-com marketplace, right? Right. And so like what happens in, in <laughs> like if you're a Chipotle, right? You can, you can say, well, I want to like tap into Uber and I'm not trying to pick on Chipotle. It's just like uh, a well-known example. <laughs> the, the reality is that, honestly, the reality is that like any big name, whether it's McDonald's, Sweetgreen, you go, you go down the list, the reality is that they've all sort of cozied up and partnered with one of these these big apps. Um, so it's, it's right. pretty universal. But Right, get the best tri- rates. Yeah, exactly. You get the best rates and, and sort of, I guess, pretend that they don't operate also a consumer-facing app that like right. they totally want customers your customers also to be ordering from instead of your own, right. you know, consumer facing. And so that's, that's sort of the distinction in the, uh, the Amazon example. And I think that's why uh, for e-commerce, that problem has, has sort of been solved for a long time. Like logistics only as a service have existed for a long, long time. And then e-commerce grew and, and appeared, right? Um, and so they just naturally tapped into, into those players. You know, Uber and DoorDash, and Grubhub basically invented the category of food delivery. And they've always yeah. had the consumer facing and they've always had, well, at least in DoorDash and Uber's case, they've always had the fulfillment side as well. So it's- right. When it comes to Amazon, you know, we see in, in the news, Yeah. I think in 2020, something happened in the EU where they were penalizing merchants who were not using their own fulfillment services, right? They have, you know, they can store your products and they can deliver them with their own fleet, right? Yep. And then now we have like another antitrust case where they're trying to make a case that says that um, Amazon is like penalizing US merchants on its third party deliver, you know, third party marketplace, right? Yep. The products it doesn't, you know, have on its balance sheet, it's just products it's aggregating. Yep. That you know, they're basically trying to get everyone to use their services, store their products in their warehouses, use their courier, you know, use their courier services, et cetera. Yep. And arguing that um, there should be a free market here. So what do you think, what are your thoughts on, on this as a precedent? We'll definitely get into some of the stuff that's going on with food delivery, but just looking at Amazon, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think so. This is relevant to, this is relevant to what's going on in, in our world, um, in in really similar ways, and I'd say even in worse ways, in in the food delivery space. Basically, what what the FTC has alleged, or sorry, they're going to allege. Um, there's there's new stories that the FTC is going to bring a antitrust claim against Amazon for essentially exerting pressure on its merchants that sell widgets on, on Amazon, utilizing their the Amazon last mile fulfillment option, as opposed to, you know, UBS or whatever, you know, other alternative that merchant might might want. Uh, so they're using the, the, the consumer marketplace 
power that they have to, to try and force merchants to use uh, their, their fulfillment services. And I think we're seeing the exact same thing play out in the food delivery space, where basically Uber and DoorDash specifically are exerting their power on the marketplace side to try and force merchants to use the fulfillment service, the last mile fulfillment right. service that Uber and DoorDash provide. The like why I think it's worse in the food delivery space is I think it's gonna be tough uh, for the FTC because and this is like the whole thing, you know, Lena Khan wrote this paper, I think she went to Columbia or Yale, where uh, when she was a student there, saying, you know, basically antitrust laws are wrong because it's not about harming consumers in the sense of saving them money or not, or like costing them money because Amazon saves consumers money, but long-term this is, you know, not a great relationship um, or situation for consumers. And so I think Amazon in this case can, will be able to point and say, look like maybe we're, we're, we're trying to get merchants to use our, our last mile fulfillment, but that's because we can save consumers money. And in the food delivery space though, we can save consumers money, like certifiably. Uh, we make delivery a lot cheaper by consolidating orders across the stack. We can make a lot, the last mile fulfillment a lot more efficient, a lot cheaper for the end consumer and for the merchant, by the way. But you have, you know, these these apps, these companies essentially exerting their, their power on the consumer side, on the marketplace side, trying to uh, exert their, their power to force merchants to use their last mile fulfillment. So I think there's a lot of parallels there. And I think they're even more favorable to, to relay and, and other third-party courier services in an antitrust sort of analysis. But um, yeah. Fascinating. Um, yeah, we have to, I, I guess she, you know, Lena Khan wants to look at the second order effects of like the diversity of the economy, right? Exactly. It's like we, we want to have a, a vibrant mom and pop, you know, presence. Uh, when it comes to any kind of retail, right? We don't just see like Main Street completely void of anything that's not a VC backed, you know, dental office or Blank Street Coffee or whatever the hell the next thing is, right? It's <laughs> yeah. you know, let's have <laughs> let's have some some real mom and pops thrive. Yeah, that's <laughs> Same exactly thing with right. Restaurants. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So I I, I want to get into some of the parallels here, but I I think I want to set it up with looking at like kind of the cost side of, of, of the supply. Okay. Um, so I think talk to us about, you know, this horizontal batching. Let's just dive in a little bit more so people understand, right? Yeah. And maybe we can look at like cloud kitchens as an example, because yeah. I've actually gone undercover as a driver for cloud kitchens. And I know that you see like all these different drivers checking in to the cloud kitchens from all these different apps, right? Yeah. It could be like first party, DoorDash, uh, first party Flipdish or whatever, Uber, DoorDash, Grubhub, some stuff I haven't even heard of that like they integrate with. They're actually not on Flipdish anymore. They built their own first party, but beside the point, yeah, it's super inefficient if ghost kitchens are going to be servicing, like let's call it a five mile radius as their core yeah. thing, or it could be even smaller in New York, right? Five yeah. miles is like forever in New York. Yeah. But depending on the city, just a fairly tight radius where I could get to you 
in about 20 minutes, 10 minutes to make the food, 15 minutes to make the food, another 15, 10 minutes to deliver it, right? Get it in under 30 minutes to actually make that a reality and, and actually make it so that the tenants are profitable and not paying so much commission because the current break-evens are about, you know, Dan Fleischman from the Kitchen Fund did an estimate that's about three quarters of a million to break even in a ghost kitchen, maybe a little bit lower. It's like 650. You know, explain why it's so much more efficient to have a company like Relay come in and say, okay, you order on all these apps, but we're going to actually just consolidate this last mile piece to one set of couriers. Yep. So, okay. Uh, for, at one point, on one end, you have the savings that tenants would be able to capture from switching to self-delivery and, and being charged a smaller commission on third-party marketplaces. Something that's, I think, potentially unique to food. I, there's probably other, other applications, but really unique to food is there's three day parts. So there's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, so, you know, a huge percentage or the majority of your, your orders are going to occur around three peaks. And then additionally, you get, and this, this is maybe less so in the Cloud Kitchens example, but classically what happens is you get a Pareto distribution where uh, a small percentage of your merchants get an outsized percentage of sales. So like the 80-20 right. rule. And so in the Cloud Kitchen example, though, you have all of these, these orders coming in at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And so yeah. if you have Uber sending one courier to pick up one order and DoorDash sending another courier to pick up yet another order, if those consumers are neighbors, then basically yes. both service both services are paying somebody a minimal amount, which is really expensive, right? I think the stat is uh, 50 or 60% of the cost of shipping something is the last mile. So the last mile is the most right. expensive component of, of delivering anything. And so you have two different people, two different workers going out of the world, getting paid a minimum amount by both of these apps to basically do the same job. To go to a cloud yes. kitchens, pick up, you know, two different orders and then go to the same neighborhood, like not even zip code, right? Like yeah. two homes that are across the street from one another. Uh, yeah. And so with Relay, we, in that example, we literally cut the cost of labor in half. Right. Because we're consolidating both of those orders. Yep, we can send one courier uh, and even pay that courier a little bit better than whatever they're making when it's just Uber and DoorDash. Yeah. We, have a diff we haven't spoken about our, our differentiated business model on the courier side, which is we, we match and exceed the tip minimum wage in any market that we're in. In, in New wow. York, for example, we pay couriers twelve fifty an hour. Um, That's just so the base, just guaranteed. Just to, if you log into Relay and you do no right. deliveries in one hour, you get twelve fifty. And right. and but because we have this this base pay, we are sort of forced to be as efficient as possible. We want to try and, and right. have that courier fulfill as many orders in an hour as they yeah. can. And so the result of this is we deliver 3.5 deliveries in an hour in New York. That's wow. just on average. Whereas per Uber per courier per hour, the mm -hmm. same stat for Uber and DoorDash is more like one, one and a half. Wow. And so we're way more efficient. Our couriers are making 30 bucks an hour, I think. I think the, the courier so far this year, I was looking at it recently, it's like $32 an hour on average. That's on average. We have couriers that make 41 bucks an hour, making yeah. $80,000 a year. Right. So th this basically tells me that this 
delivery can be profitable if you have enough density of demand and you have enough density of supply. Meaning you have enough merchants on, that that are coat that are located within the same kind of not block but maybe zip code where you could easily like orchestrate that pickup, and then when you're dropping it off, you can do not a milk run but you know a uh, a nice tight little run where you're dropping off the customer A, B, and C, picking up from maybe two or three merchants that are within a few blocks of each other and. Who knows? Maybe you could double that number at some point very soon. I mean, certainly with cloud kitchens and the amount of share that they have in certain zip codes um, of delivery, like their first location in West Adams, Los Angeles. I mean, they have a huge amount of that order flow already coming in. Yeah. If they just kicked out all the third-party marketplaces, or they made all their tenants turn on self-delivery, this would be game changer. When it comes to the last mile, because um, because you'd be seeing way over three and a half deliveries per person per hour, you'd be seeing maybe double digits. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and, and Cloud Kitchens has picked urban markets, I think, for a really good reason. Um, and you know, one thing to add though, right? Like, I think you nailed it. You need density of of order volume. Really, the like name of the game. For anything that that's fulfillment is just order volume, and and so if you have, I, I like question DoorDash. Like they are famously, uh, they dominate in the suburbs, and to me that seems right. a lot. And I, I, that seems a lot like going from a strip mall to like pick up food, and then driving down the highway to sort of a subdivision to drop that yeah. food off. And then sort of making a deadhead trip either back to that strip mall or to the next strip mall to sort of do the right. same thing. And so I think if you're yeah. a dasher, the amount of time that you spend sort of just like driving around, you know, yeah. to a restaurant is is pretty significant. For us, it's nothing um, because right. of that. We, we we seek that density. I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not saying Relay wouldn't be in the suburbs. I, I don't know if the unit economics shake out in the suburbs sure. because of that problem. Right, and this is why they're just having their customers request more products from other merchants is to basically boost that utilization of that driver. So, okay, the driver can stop at Seven Eleven with this double dash thing, add on a you know whatever like a jug of Pepsi because Pepsi's paying for an ad, totally, and then totally. voila, you've done your you know you've faked your numbers to make the utilization looks like something, but it's really just one customer. It, so yep. it's like supply side d- density and its demand density you need enough neighbors ordering in these areas I, I think frankly if you have the volume the 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 work will, the workers will come essentially like you're yeah. offering on the other side of the equation you're offering somebody a job and then it's just a, an yeah. economic scheme no and this is why it makes sense that this should not be siloed that we need to you know bust the walls down so yep. on that thread you know there's this this controversy now around the minimum wage a guarantee tip, uh, like without tips, New York City wants to um, essentially, or they did enforce a minimum wage requirement, um, and then it got you know essentially blocked. But yep. the, this was almost eighteen dollars, and it's going up to twenty dollars or so, or so in the next year. Um, and this was a long battle, and um, you know all the third party marketplaces are fighting it, and then you somehow got lumped into this. So I guess like let's just start like. What are the implications of this for a service like yours? 
how that, and then how will that impact restaurants and consumers? Yeah. So yeah, Relay did get lumped in, even though we're really different than, than the other apps. And it's sort of funny, like all the headlines don't even mention Relay. I mean, obviously we're a lot smaller than the other apps, but um, right. I think it's also like a good, good, uh, it's descriptive. I don't think it's controversial. Like, I think it's controversial that if you work for Uber, <laughs> you basically Uber gets away with paying you 10 bucks an hour, which is yeah. what the DCWP found. You know, I, I, yeah, like we don't operate. That's not our model at all. Um, I think it's controversial that really got lumped in. Our curves are we, we match and exceed. Sorry, we, we match the tip minimum wage in New York. So if you work for Relay, you get paid twelve fifty. You you log off, you clock off, and then go clock in at the bagel store or the pizzeria where you work at as a delivery guy. You get paid twelve fifty. Yeah. So it's, we've always matched that. And again, like with with our higher utilization, it means that you end up making thirty bucks an hour. It, it we're almost tripling what the rest of the industry pays in, in the city. Um, so yeah, I, I sort of mysteriously, originally when this rule, when this, this bill was drafted, Relay wasn't defined. Like we, we weren't part of it. And then mysteriously, we sort of, yeah. uh, we got added to the, uh, to the law. The implications for the consumers are going to be terrible from a financial perspective. I think if you're a consumer, you, you at least will know that couriers are going to be making like a living wage, uh, which is yeah. good, but you're going to have to pay for it. It's going to cost you a lot more money yeah. to order, you know, fries or, or you know, burger. Right. What What is, I think, profoundly unfair for Relay is because we've been lumped in, mm-hmm. we don't have a consumer facing app. All Uber, DoorDash and Grubhub have to do is basically say, Oh, you know, we have to pay couriers more money. Right. So consumers, like, you need to pay us more. Right. And we're going to add done this before. 100%, the regulatory surcharge, right? And so they're just yeah. going to add a regulatory regulatory surcharge. Yeah. It'll cost you four or five more dollars by their, that's what they're saying. I think it's five bucks is, is what they're saying is uh, going to cost you more <laughs> to order, which is crazy because already the fees that these apps charge on the consumer yeah. side, like, I don't have to get into it. Like, it, very well documented. They're really, really high. So it's going to be higher yes. somehow in New York. Um, <laughs> and But really can't do that. We don't have a consumer facing app. And so right. what this is going to force me to do is basically go to the 3000 restaurants that we work with in, in New York and say, look, like this is I'm so sorry. And with inflation and, and the pressures post COVID <laughs> that you're under, you know, I have to raise my prices. And mm-hmm. and that's fine. But for. We're the only company that's going to have to do that. Uber, DoorDash and Grubhub don't have to have that difficult conversation right. with merchants. They just raise the price of the consumer. And so it puts us at a huge disadvantage. And, right. you know, I have to say that the, yeah, we're, we're sort of, that's the angle that we're taking. We obviously, uh, we firmly believe that couriers should be paid a fair, a fair wage. We already do that. We practice what we preach. We're paying them the 1250 that they'd make if they work for a pizzeria. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that it puts us at a, at a massive disadvantage relative to the other yeah. apps, having to have that, that difficult conversation. And Matt, we've raised, minimum wages gone up over the years. So we've had to do these, these uh, right. fee increases over the years. They're never fun. And they're never fun. And they're like, on average, they've been like 25 cents. So like we have to yeah. have like blowout arguments with restaurant owners about like 25 cents. 
per in, order. In this case, the the, yeah. the increase on average on average would be like a dollar sixty. So per like order. I don't even want to fathom yeah. the conversations I'd have with restaurant owners per order a dollar sixty. It's like if if we charge you five bucks. On average, yeah, six sixty. It would be six exactly. It's like a forty percent increase in 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 the cost. Yeah. Um, and so, and what 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 concerns me more, I guess, is restaurant owners are going to say, you know, look, in the past you've raised our prices twenty five cents. This is just you're raising us a dollar sixty. You're getting greedy. Like, how much of this yeah. is like going to end up in your pocket? And and the reality is that no, like none of it. This is just like just so that we can continue to break even, kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, that's really unfortunate that you're getting lumped in because you're B two B and these companies are consumer focused. They have a relationship where they're in the middle of the restaurant and the consumer. You're downstream or upstream, however you want to look at it, right? Yeah. You're you don't have any pricing power. It's up to the restaurants to figure out how much they're going to subsidize and how much the customers are going to pay. Yep. And at the end of the day, they can take that fifteen percent savings on the delivery, right? Going there from thirty to fifteen percent with self delivery. Figure out how much of that fifteen percent they want to subsidize the delivery. But if you make it too expensive, now you've just reduced the amount of de- you know. There's going to be some elasticity of demand, a ton of elasticity of demand. For Not sure, everyone in New York is a you know multimillionaire that's going to be able to pay. For all their meals that like essentially cost like a hundred dollars. Yep, <laughs> uh, I, this is absolutely going to put it in in the realm of possible that if you order twenty dollars worth of food, you're going to pay you know easily sixty percent in fees just to get that twenty dollar <laughs> meal delivered. Um, yeah, whether relay is lumped in or not is is sort of not the unfortunate part. The, like what I think is the unfortunate yeah. part is the city has been basically they took a one size fits all approach to the solution we are right literally the first thing i said when like when i describe relay and like you know today or anytime it's like we are a b2b offering we are fundamentally a different company than uber and doordash yeah. which are b to you know b2c um yeah and and but but for but still the city decided to lump everyone in together and yeah um and i think that's a huge mistake so that's why that's right, why yeah we're fighting it i like i can't believe i can't believe we are actually suing New York City, but here we are. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of things in your tenure, uh, uh, ten years of doing this that you never thought would be fathom. You know, you would never fathom as possible, but here we are. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think for them, they're just looking at like the problem. It's a wha- you know, but it's like it feels like it's a constant whack-a-mole thing, and I'm not sure they'll ever be able to fix it, right? And so to them, it's like, oh, how do we get make sure these drivers? They're coming at it from, you know, a noble from a noble cause, but totally. like the, the, the how of how this gets solved and understanding like all the complicated web of this stuff that I've been spending the last couple of years just trying to understand myself. I put, you know, this is, <laughs> and I'm still, you know, learning things every day, talking yeah. to you, et cetera. Like this is not easy, uh, an easy industry to be dealing with and you can't just make blanket rules that don't look at the nuance. Anyway, we could talk, we could have a whole episode about this, but I think it's pretty clear what's going on and and understanding your place in the ecosystem. Um, it's a lot clearer after you know this conversation, like exactly where you sit. So thanks for sharing. I think that's a nice segue kind of as we come towards the end of the convo to just like look at your predictions, the future of food delivery of the next decade. You know, clearly everything is getting squeezed. Food costs are going up, so we have to rely on automation. Um, where do you think the biggest profit pools are going to exist? Is it real estate? 
is in this food supply chain. And then like, what will these companies, DoorDash, Uber Eats, Grubhub look like in 10 years? Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I really think my, my, my crystal ball is like essentially non-existent. Um, I think <laughs> whenever, whenever I try to do, you know, these predictions, um, they, they really just don't pan out at all. Um, but I will say, uh, it, it seems to me, this is like, it's a terrible analogy, but like, bear with me. Just crazy to me that uh, two things. One, if, if you're McDonald's, or if you're Chipotle, or if you're the local, you know, uh, shawarma spot down the street, basically mm-hmm. the flavor of DoorDash and Uber that you get is like almost identical. Like it's like what you see when you're in the restaurant is like almost the same. So that's that's mm-hmm. one thing that I think is 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 crazy to me. The other and there's nuance there, Matt. Like I know like on the tech stack and the integrations and whatnot, there's there's nuance there, but it's really similar. Um, the what is I think still in the early innings is this is just so uh, consolidated, and it's like when if you were to get into hobby like flying and like remote control airplanes like you'd probably start by going and buying you know something off the shelf that came with the remote control and the airplane it's like all assembled all you have to do is add batteries and like you're flying mm-hmm. oh this is i know a terrible analogy <laughs> what part of what we offer and obviously this is self-serving but part of what we offer is starting to modularize this yeah. this you know this stack um, and a lot of people are doing it on the software side, on like the ordering and, and you know, funneling everything into, you mentioned, um, you know, Charlie and, and Checkmate and, and um, so, so yeah, module, sorry, like cons- exactly consolidating uh, the front ends and whatnot. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think the future is a lot more options on both ends of the spectrum, on the front end and on the, so on the, on the front end of the consumer end and also on the logistics side of being able to choose really like your adventure. And right now it is it is not choose your adventure. It's basically like you work right. with Uber, you work with DoorDash, and right. your negotiating strategy is to basically ask them really nicely to give you like if you're a big brand or if you're a restaurant right. to try to knock them down a couple of points um, in terms yeah. of their commission. And so just like really simple, it's like a very simplistic approach currently. And so I, th- I think that's going right. to get more sophisticated. Uh, I-, I hope it will sophisticate because mm-hmm. we are a part of that, of that future. Yeah. Do you, do you see these guys, do you see more vertical integration happening? Like, do you see tech companies becoming food companies or do you think there will be like a line in the sand where it's like, we don't want to touch that? Yeah, I don't think so. I think the market has rewarded software plays so, so strongly that I think it's tough like it would be, I, it would caught, catch me off guard if like all of a sudden Toast, for example, decides to like spin up a delivery, you know, like with boots on the ground. I, that, that would be, I wouldn't see that one coming. Um, right. Maybe now that I've said that, that's going to happen and that'd be good. <laughs> but yeah, that, that uh, again, historically, just like the multiples that you get on the software right. side have been just so, so phenomenal that yeah. I think if, if that's your world, you're going to try to stick to it. Um, yeah. But like for, for us, maybe the multiples aren't as handsome, but it's really difficult. And so uh, yeah. I think doing difficult things, uh, if you do them well, there's there's great reward. Yeah, I think there's a huge identity. I've said this a lot of times. I think there's a huge identi- identity crisis in food tech, inherently in the name food and tech, oil and water. 
you got to pick which one you are. Like, I, I don't want to call out Wonder again, but I will. Wonder, you're just a restaurant. You're not Amazon. Uh, or, you know, it's just like, it's very clear. Like, where, where's the line here? You know, it's like, build your own tech doesn't make you a tech company. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Um, Alex, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, if people, if restaurants listening to this want to sign up with Relay, tell us how they can get started. Um, and then if maybe drivers are listening to this, tell, tell them where they can get started as well. Yeah, uh, restaurants that are listening to this, uh, feel free to reach out to me, alex at relay.com, uh, relay.delivery, uh, excuse me, or sales at relay.delivery. And then for couriers, we have uh, on our website, you just go there and there's a sign me up as a courier uh, page and uh, mm-hmm. go through the application process. It's uh, It takes less than a minute. Amazing. Well, rooting for you. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, be very, I'll be following this uh, whole New York City mess uh, very closely. So um, good luck with all of that. And uh, we'll have to check in soon. Uh, thanks, Matt. We're, we're following it as well, obviously. <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> all right. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you're curious to get a firsthand look at the cutting edge of food and tech, check out Hungry.tv. That's Hungry with No You, where you can join in on live conversations like these or sign up for the free weekly newsletter.